Welcome to the Now You Know Akron podcast, brought to you by the journalists of BeaconJournal.com. Each week, they will share their expertise on Akron and Summit County. Now, here's your host, Craig Webb. Thanks for joining us for the Now You Know Akron podcast. I'm your host, Craig Webb. Today's podcast will be a reporter's roundtable of sorts, where we'll talk about COVID-19, where we're at today, where we've been, and where we're going. We'll be joined by one of our reporters from the State House, along with our medical reporter and our City of Akron reporter. But first, here's three things you should know from recent headlines from BeaconJournal.com. It's been 10 years since a promise was made to 300 third grade students who sat in the grass at Lock 3 Park in Akron. They learned about LeBron James' new I Promise program and how it will give them laptops and bikes. That program has grown since then and now includes a school dedicated to trying to keep Akron school kids in class and on the path for a college degree. It has all come full circle for these kids as 10 years later, that first class of I Promise kids is now graduating. Reaction was swift to a story we had about an American Legion in Hudson on Memorial Day when they cut the mic of one of their speakers. He began to talk about the role black Americans played in establishing the holiday. In our final story, told the story of a Brunswick woman who was the sole survivor of a crash that killed four other teens. It talked about how her life has been since and how she's now a mental health advocate. BeaconJournal.com and all of our apps always feature updated headlines and subscriber-exclusive content you can't find anywhere else. For today's Spotlight topic, we're going to have a discussion about COVID, where we are in the state, where we are locally, and uh, maybe looking a little ahead and maybe a little back. Um, Joining us today is Betty Lynn Fisher from The Beacon, um, Jacqueline Bouchard from The Columbus Dispatch, and one of our uh, State House reporters, and Doug Livingston, who covers the city of Akron. So, so welcome, everyone. We should start it. I think, Betty, you had a column recently, and I and I have to admit that, that I'm walking into stores now. I am not wearing a mask. I am fully vaccinated. I guess I'll I'll disclose that. And, and I guess I, I feel a little odd, like I'm naked or something, or like something's not quite right. And I'm walking around, and maybe a third of the people still are vaccinated. And I, I guess this is causing some... I don't want to say mental health issues, but but stress for folks, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think there's a really wide spectrum of people, right? Some some people think that the lifting of the health orders um, is welcome news. They're ready. Um, others are um, maybe on the other end of the spectrum and they're they're totally not ready to, um, you know, to to leave the house or, or nervous about it. And then there's probably a lot of people in the middle. Um, I'm probably in the middle there. You know, I'm, I'm OK outside when I'm inside. I'm. You know, I'm still masking, but then not sure what to do. Um, so I uh, I talked to a um, Cleveland Clinic Akron General psychiatrist um, to, for a column for just some tips for people. And I don't know if you want to give me if you want me to give you a couple of the highlights, but some of them were uh, things about, you know, set your boundaries um, and maybe start small. Um, you know, figure out your your social bubble, um, who you may be comfortable seeing in person um, and then start there. Um, be true to yourself if you're, you know, if you feel strongly, even if you're vaccinated, that you want to wear a mask to protect yourself and others. Um, just stay true to that. And, uh, you know, don't let don't let kind of you get in your own mind and, um, you know, stay away from situations where you may be uncomfortable. 
Jackie, I, I guess I'm I'm thinking about you folks in, in Columbus. I mean, it became like a regular thing every day, right? We met at two o'clock. It was kind of a communal thing. You know, the wine with the wine. I mean, is it is it odd to be transitioning to what is a new reality even with the state in, in terms of their own tracking and, and what you folks are working on? Yeah, I think in the early days of the pandemic, the daily, they were daily at that point, press conferences with the governor and then health director Amy Acton, Lieutenant Governor John Houston was, it did, it provided kind of a rhythm, something expected every day. We would get the numbers. We would get the latest on what the state was doing to help um, prevent spread of the coronavirus. And, and that was really, I think, the main information that people in Ohio were relying on every day was what the governor and, and what they were saying. And we've transitioned away from that. I think even at last summer and fall, we were starting to, you know, we weren't having the press conferences every day. Um, we still have numbers that are updated every day, but, uh, you know, much less attention on some of those numbers and, and, and what they mean. And, uh, the state has even just in the last few weeks moved away from a lot of the metrics that it was using to tell the public kind of where we were. There was that uh, heat map, the 88 county color map, uh, technically called the Ohio Public Health Advisory System, which was rolled out in July that was supposed to kind of show people a county by county level of, of what was happening in their county with with COVID-19. And uh, that didn't come with any state mandates, but a lot of school districts especially used that to determine whether they were going to go back in person full time or hybrid or, or fully remote. Uh, and, and other like organizations and businesses use that map as well to kind of make some decisions about what to do. But in December, when cases got really high, it didn't really make a lot of sense to use that map anymore because it was based on a rate of increase. And so you had really high numbers, but there was no more place to go. You couldn't go up anymore. So, um, you know, so the state backed off that in December. And then we saw in the spring, um, the governor had adopted a metric to list all the health orders, right? It's this, um, it's called an incidence rate. And it's based on uh, the number of new COVID-19 cases per 100,000 residents in the last two weeks. So then, you know, for the first time really in the pandemic, Ohioans had a target to look at every week and see where we were, if we were getting closer to uh, 50 over 100,000, which is what um, the governor had said is his goal. And then just a few weeks ago, he scrapped that and said, well, June 2nd is the new date. And I think that caught a lot of people off guard because here we had this target. We've been looking at it for, I think, 10 weeks at the time and moving toward it. And every week we were improving and we were getting better. And, you know, actually where we are today, we're very close to 50. Um, I just crunched the numbers before I got on the on the podcast here. And as of Thursday's numbers, we were at 55.4 cases per 100,000. So we're pretty close to the mark that he set. Uh, just in the last few weeks, we've seen cases really drop as, um, you know, I think for several reasons. But, you know, we're right there. So while it may have been a surprise that we scrapped this metric, we would have been there probably maybe a week later anyway. It seems interesting. I can't think about it. Now I like to put numbers into perspective. And I, I we before we moved um, to the Akron area, we lived in a small village, and I was looking at kind of the numbers of Ohio. I think it was 635 the other day, or or something. And I'm thinking, well, over the span of seven days, you know, do the math in your head. I mean, it's almost a small village in Ohio is still getting COVID, you know, over the span of a week. So it's still not gone away, right? I mean, I, I guess it's hard to look at a crystal ball, but are the state 
concern with the rollback? Or did, are we expecting some increases because of increased capacity, no mask? Yeah, there's there's certainly, I think, to be expected an increase in cases. I think the numbers that um, public health folks are, are watching and have been in the last few weeks especially is whether the hospitalizations and the deaths correspond with those cases. As we've seen for our, about, you know, the first year of the pandemic, you would see a spike in cases, and then two weeks later you'd see a spike in hospitalizations, and then a couple weeks after that you might see a spike in deaths. With vaccinations now, I mean, that's supposed to be all the data on, on the vaccines is supposed to prevent you from getting really sick or going, you know, getting to the hospital or dying. And we first saw the effect of that really in the nursing home numbers that were coming out every week where we went from very high numbers in December on a weekly basis and they pretty much dropped off once they reached, you know, a, um, a couple weeks into the vaccination program at nursing homes and, and long-term care facilities. So I think, and we're seeing that now, I think some of the, some of the stories I've seen nationally in the last week or so is that um, the, the portion of people who are being hospitalized still for COVID-19 are people who are, were not vaccinated. And that's why I think you're also seeing some younger people um, being represented in greater numbers, greater proportion than they were throughout the whole pandemic, because um, you know, a lot of you know kids under age 12 can't get a vaccine. Um, and, you know, just just in the last couple of weeks have kids age 12 to 15 been able to get one. Maybe you can help and maybe Betty, too, can put perspective on the state isn't releasing deaths every it's less frequent. But yet if we have like 300 and some cases, but yet we had 64 deaths reported. I mean, isn't that still kind of a high percentage among you're saying, you're, I mean, as the numbers are narrowing, it seemed like 64 deaths, even though, and I'm not sure what span that was, is still a fairly high number of folks, right? Well, so now Ohio used to report deaths every day, and they were deaths that are being reported through what's called the disease, uh, Ohio Disease Reporting System, which doctors have access to that, hospitals, um, your primary care doctor, someone at a Walgreens clinic, like they, they can go into that and enter in that a, co- a positive COVID-19 test, for example, or if you went to your doctor and they diagnosed you with, with COVID-19, you would get entered into that database. And they were pulling deaths from that. And then in February, um, they stopped doing that because they found out that about 4,000 deaths had not been recorded through that process because they were coming in through another channel of reporting by um, death certificates. So the practice had been, because basically you had two different reporting mechanisms, that they would compare those and make sure that no one was being counted twice and maybe someone who wasn't reported in the um, by their doctor, but they had a death certificate that said COVID-19, that they were still counted. And so at that point, the state made a decision to stop re- reporting publicly through the disease reporting and only rely on death certificates. Now, the problem with that is in Ohio, you have six months to file a death certificate. So the numbers that we're seeing now, they're only coming in twice a week. They are considered to be more accurate than the previous um, method of of accounting, but they could be up to six months late from when someone died. So when you're tracking, using death data now to track kind of where we are, you have to go by the date of death in, in the data set, and you'll see that, like, Recently, we're not getting a lot in the last few weeks because they have to go through the, the death certificate process, which can take a while, and it has to get verified by 
um, by federal agency as well. Betty, what are you seeing with, with local, I mean, for Summit County, kind of bring a little closer to home. I mean, what are we seeing among hospital numbers in, in general? Are we flatlined or are we, have we still going down? Yeah, so I'll give you a little perspective. First of all, I'm going to, um, I did have a story a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, we've seen some national, a lot of national studies showing that, um, the, the prevalence of COVID among vac- vaccinated people is pretty low. I mean, it is still possible for you to get COVID if you're vaccinated. Um, you know, you, you just may not, um, get as sick or hopefully will not, you know, be as sick where you'll be, be hospitalized or die. Um, but closer to home, Cleveland Clinic, uh, released a study, um, of 4,600, 4,300 of its own, uh, caregivers who had, you know, they, they were getting vaccinated earlier at the end of December. Um, and, you know, their data show that 99.7% of the recent infections at Cleveland Clinic, um, among the caregivers were among those who were unvaccinated and that only 0.3% of the infected caregivers were fully vaccinated. Um, but then closer to home, um, so I have been compiling um, daily numbers uh, with the media relations folks at our four area hospitals, um, Summa Health System, um, at Cleveland Clinic, Akron General, Western Reserve Hospital, and Akron Children's Hospital. Um, they've been sending me daily numbers, uh, not on the weekends, um, since November 30th, and then they also gave me numbers before that. But it's been a nice way for us to look locally at what's been happening trending-wise. Um, the high uh, was 318 among those hospitals. I don't have the exact date. It was sometime in mid-December. Then the the, the previous low um, came on uh, March 8th and, uh, with 51. But just in the last week, we've gone down to new record lows almost every day. Uh, yes, I'm sorry, two days ago on the um, I'm sorry, we're, we're, we're recording this a couple of days early, but on June 2nd, we had a um, new record low of 33, 33 among four hospitals. So we're almost at zero at a couple of them. And, you know, it's bumping up a little bit. I don't have today's numbers, but so that actually shows us what's happening. And we're going to continue to do this because even though the health orders have been lifted, you know, this is a really good way for us to see if there's any, you know, there'll be any spikes, um, especially with um, more people going unmasked. Doug, I haven't forgotten about you. I was, and, and as a side, I was, I was driving the other day through Twinsburg uh, on my way to uh, pick up basketball shoes for a son, but I was driving through the industrial areas and, and I told, point out my teenage son, I said, you, you may never see as many help wanted signs. Every single business we pass, wanting machinists, wanting just laborers, wanting, and I know you've kind of been, been looking a little bit at, at this, you know, issue of, People not seeking employment or, or maybe leaving the workforce and, and, and trying to put our arms around where, where, where exactly are these missing jobs and, and where are these potential employees? Yeah, my, uh, my reporting on that is just getting rolling. Um, so I don't have a really good grasp from the people out there. You know, it's, it's really hard to find people who are unemployed who are willing to talk about their unemployment. People's identities and who they are are really wrapped up in what they do. Um, so to have somebody talk about not doing anything is, is kind of, uh, it's disheartening for some people to talk about that. So there, there is a reluctance on the part of a lot of people, a lot of doors I've knocked on to get people to talk about this to even open up. And then there's, you know, some, some national studies and speculation about, about, uh, you know, the, the additional, um, unemployment compensation. Um, kind of keeping people on the sidelines. There's still concerns about contracting COVID. Um, there are immunocompromised people out there who um, who have been on the sidelines this entire time. That unemployment insurance goes away June 26th, so later this month. Um, so that'll be something to keep an eye on. There's also the concern about transportation, getting to the jobs that are available, childcare. Um, if if you can't um, get your your child who is unvaccinated into a daycare with other children who are 
unvaccinated and, and be comfortable with that, then how do you how do you kind of send them off so that you can go find a job? Um, so there's just a lot of reasons right now. And I've only spoken to a couple people this week. Um, one who's actually employed, he's been doing uh, food delivery through Uber Eats and other apps. Uh, he had a $21 an hour job prior to the pandemic. And uh, and um, for, for reasons beyond the pandemic, he switched careers in the middle of the pandemic, which wasn't good. So he couldn't find another job right away. And he's kind of fallen into this um, food delivery uh, right, not, not necessarily the ride sharing portion of it, but, um, and he's comfortable where he's at, but trying to get back into the, the daily, you know, what he, what he did his entire life, managing warehouses and, and stores, they're not offering to pay him what he's able to make, what he made before. Uh, he's having trouble getting through the indeed.com filter of, you know, here's who I am. I'm 54 years old. I have experience, but no college degree. Um, does that experience, is it too old? Um, what I've done over the past year doesn't necessarily match what I'm applying for. Um, so there's a lot of issues with people trying to get, get the job that they had, um, the pay that they had. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, I was blown away. I've driven by a couple of industrial corridors and there's, there are now hiring signs everywhere. And, um, I did speak with the owner of Akron Family Restaurant because we know the service industry was hit pretty hard. Um, whether it's hotels, restaurants, bars, um, theaters, some of these places closed down completely. Um, restaurants have been scaling back up as people are coming back out. You know, the order folks started getting vaccinated back in January, and um, Akron Family Restaurants saw their numbers start ticking up then. They had no problem hiring five people last month, which is unusual because a lot of other restaurants are, are saying it's really hard to find people to come back uh, and work. Um, and the owner said he just pays people more than he did before. Um, so it does require a, a little bit better incentive, a little higher incentive to get people to, to rejoin the, the workforce. Well, it's not like everyone's story is unique as the, every individual. And I, I think with a few moments we have remaining, and, I, and I'm kind of curious to tell you, you touch upon it. Maybe we'll go around the, around the horn here. I mean, as reporters and journalists, this has been, first of all, I mean, probably the biggest story of our lifetimes, right? Or, or our careers in many ways, but, but also, just in how we've had to report, right? I, I'm kind of, for those of you listening to the podcast, I, I'm looking at a screen here and I, I'm seeing uh, many home offices. Um, we, I think any of us are in a real office. And, and, and I guess what we'll start with you, Jackie, I'm just curious, did you find it was harder to report on state issues? And then what brought it in my mind was that Doug saying he was actually out knocking on doors, which a year ago we weren't doing, right? We weren't knocking on any doors. We, we were not out hardly at all. And quite frankly, nobody was out either. But I'm just curious, has it been a, a tough time to get people to talk or to find information because it's not in person? You know, a lot of it was virtual and, you know, it's easier not to answer an email. It's easier not to answer a phone or not be able to look you face to face and keep asking that follow up question to hound, hound, hound. I mean, have you had to adjust or, or, or do you think it's been okay? Yeah, I think, you know, I think covering state government, it was easier in some respects and harder in others. So it was easier in in the sense that the governor had a press conference every day for seven days a week. So you knew that you could go and ask questions and you would get information and you would get information that people wanted to read. Um, and a lot of state government and also local government moved their operations online and that made it easier for journalists to attend public meetings and also just members of the public. Um, I mean, in Columbus, even 
the local school board, for example, moved their meetings online. And I knew all sorts of people who went to the school board meeting from their their living room that never would have gone before. But then all of a sudden they were engaged because it made it really easy for them to participate. And in, in the respects that it made it harder, um, I mean, most of the people that we talk to, you know, politicians, we can get them on their cell phones. But if they're trying to ignore a question from us, we can't chase them down in person. That that was a huge downside, especially at the end of um, the last session that ended in December, because there was a COVID outbreak at the state house, And so we did have some discussions about, you know, whether reporters felt comfortable going into the state house where many lawmakers uh, weren't wearing face masks, weren't keeping distancing necessarily. Um, you know, what your comfort level was, what we needed to get out of a visit to the state house what versus what could be done remotely. Um, and along those lines, after the governor's press conference moved, so it kind of changed the setup of the press conference. I don't think a lot of people understand this, but the press conference changed with the different COVID restrictions. So at the beginning, we were in the same room with the governor and Amy Acton and John Houston, and we could shout questions at them the way that we would at any other regular press conference. Um, and then when they moved to uh, first, they moved six feet apart, which was kind of cute. They had like um, markers on the floor where they would go and stand, make sure they were six feet apart. And then they moved to a separate room and the journalists were in a separate room and we had a camera on us and they had a camera on them where we could see them through these kind of, you know, through a TV. And that's when we were limited to one question per reporter per outlet, no follow ups. And sometimes that's when you get the answer to your question is when you're able to follow up and when you're able to to really push back on on an answer that you were given. So we've lost out on that aspect of it. Um, and I'm very eager to get back to doing more in-person press conferences where we're, they can't cut your mic, where, you know, you can you can really press somebody to get the answer that you're looking for or, or that answers your question. Well, I, I do looking thinking back and remember being in that press conference in Cleveland Metro Health Medical Center. I, I, I drew the long straw, the short straw that day. And I, we were shoulder to shoulder. And that was about the last time that happened at governor's press conference was that one. And it was early on. We all kind of looked at each other. And they were so grim. I mean, you looked at DeWine, you looked at me, Dr. Acton, and it was like it, it became very real very quickly. Like, you know, life might be changing very quickly. And it did. Betty, I'm curious about you you know, that, that you cover medical and, and you went from really hospitals, I'm going to say tripping over themselves, welcoming us in, you know, you can watch your procedure with proper precautions to you're not invited in and, and you're covering your medical reporter, covering medicine, and there's walls up around your entire beat. I mean, it, it, was that difficult or did you feel frustrated? Like, you know, I really want to talk to a nurse in the ER. I want to talk to, you know, in the front line. Yeah. Yes. Um, and in fact, even now, um, there's only one hospital that's invited me in. Uh, the other ones are still saying no. Um, and so but, you know, we've had to adapt. Um, you know, pre-COVID, I would go go places and, and talk to people in person and do a lot on the phone. Um, so, you know, thankfully for, you know, virtual video chats, um, you know, I did a lot of videos, video interviews with, you know, in I, one, one in particular, you know, a woman who who lost her husband and she, you know, she's not sure it was too COVID, but she blames COVID because, um, you know, he wouldn't go to the hospital. He wouldn't go to the ER because at the time everybody was worried about going to the ER. Um, and so, you know, something like that, I needed to see her. I needed to talk to her, not just on the phone. And so, you know, I utilized Zoom and, and, and video chats a lot for, for my interviews, uh, because then you can at least see 
You know, you can see somebody's eyes, you can see their emotions. Um, and it's just only really been in the last three, four weeks um, that uh, I've gone, you know, back to, you know, Children's Hospital and done some, um, you know, a little bit inside, mostly outside. Um, but otherwise, I'm still, you know, we're still not fully there. Doug, I, I think about you in, in terms of, you know, obviously your, I think your Monday nights were, were spent in Akron in a meeting, in a, but, you know, you're a municipal reporter and a government reporter um, by, by trade. And I, I just, I mean, a lot happened aside from COVID, right? We had Black Lives Matter protests downtown Akron and, and just, are, are you fearful that maybe some stories you might have done or just, I want to say people get away with things. I mean, was, was it a time that, that maybe there wasn't the scrutiny and some things we might have dedicated more resources on and, and look more closely at just because of the circumstances and, and just not being there in person and just, you know, COVID seemed bigger than, than that particular contract or that particular issue in the city? Yeah, my, my concern throughout the pandemic was as we moved virtual, remote, all these meetings go online, that we start um, reporting on policies that impact people without actually going out and talking to the people who are out there being impacted by it. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, as far as efficiency in my job goes, uh, it was difficult at first. I, I wasn't able to walk downtown from the office, uh, go to the council chambers, listen to what they said, and then stop them before they left the room and ask them questions, you know. So so in that aspect, it was difficult um, adjusting, but, you know, I've, I've gotten pretty accustomed to texting and calling council members, and they've been pretty responsive and good about that. Early on in the pandemic, you know, when everything shut down really hard, um, there was concerns about people being able to pay their bills. Um, and I, I was, you know, our photographers have been out there every single day. Um, they, it's, you know, you can't take a picture from your living room um, unless you're taking a screenshot of a Zoom meeting. Um, so they've been out there every single day. And, and, and I went out with them a couple of times early on when we thought about, all right, who is going to not be able to pay their rent? Who who is looking for child care issues? Who whose whose industry just basically shut the doors and what are they doing? So um, things like evictions. Um you know, we had to go out there and knock on doors and, and found found most people who were, were facing evictions, according to the filings, were people who were living on the margins to begin with. They were they were living in um, with incomes and situations that were pretty fragile. Um, they were pretty susceptible to to kind of falling off the cliff, uh, so to speak, um, when when everything kind of shut down. So um, it's it's been concerning and um, it's also it's also been good to to brush up on our digital skills and, and, uh, you know, grown pretty, pretty reliant on, on all these, these virtual meetings and, and digital communications. So I'm, I'm really excited to get back out there and, and dedicate more time of each story to talking to the real people who are impacted by it, as opposed to hear the people passing the laws and policies and, and let's just get that out there so people can read it and think about it. I'd like to talk to them about what they're actually thinking. Well, I'd like to thank all three of you for joining us today and, and uh, updating us. And maybe we'll reconvene in six months and, and we'll see where these stories are going and, and where the I'm sure the COVID cases are, you know, this story is not going away and, and we'll, we'll continue. And, and I'm sure we'll, we'll be finding stories along the way. So thank you all for joining me. And that's all the time we have today for the Now You Know Akron podcast. As always, we would like to encourage you to subscribe to the Akron Beacon Journal in print or in digital form. And once again, as always, we thank our producer, B.J. Lisko, for making us sound good and making this all possible. Until next week, now you know Akron.